All right, well, hey, welcome. So glad to have you here today, whether you're online or in the room. And I want to say thanks to John and Joel and the tech team and all the people who, yeah, have been working really hard this morning to get things set up and running so we could be online as well as in person. So it's good to be uh, together today. And um, my name is Brian Asker. I am uh, the other half uh, of Sandy and Brian Asker. Uh, she and I are the co-pastors of this new church plant, Crossview Rosa Parks. And you know, there are some things that I do because Sandy's love compels me to do it. Like our relationship compels me to do things that I wouldn't otherwise do. So, for example, I work out more regularly because Sandy encourages me to do that than I would on my own volition. You know, I was a runner, three-sport athlete in high school, but when I got to college, dropped all that, stopped running, I, you know, played ultimate frisbee regularly, and I certainly walked around campus at uh, blazing speeds because I wanted to get there as fast as I could, forget the transition space, but I did not do a single workout in college. So, uh, when I got done with college, I started working with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, and uh, fortunately, I got placed in the same area as Sandy. That's where we met, started to get to know one another, and she got me into running again. I ran a half marathon, and then I ran a full marathon. And now, today, I work out five, six days a week. And, you know, I really appreciate that Sandy gets me out there working out regularly because I feel better, I'm in better shape health-wise, I have more energy, uh, so I'm really grateful for that. That's one of the things that Sandy um, helps me to do more regularly and compels me to do that. I was thinking about uh, the other thing that she really does a great job of compel compelling me to do, giving. So, for you know, recently we got uh, that stimulus check in the mail, and Sandy said, you know, that's unbudgeted money. We could give that away. And I was like, you're right. I was thinking we could buy me a new phone. You could get a new watch because your battery, watch battery is dying regularly. And uh, we could do that home remodeling project that, you know, we've been thinking about. And I was like, oh, yeah, we could give that money away. And, you know, initially there was disappointment, but then when I give that money away, you know what happens is that I get, I get this joy that comes from giving and the Lord blesses us as we do that. The last thing I was thinking about that I do because I'm married to Sandy, I, I, I think anytime you're in love, you'll do these crazy things. So I was thinking about this one time when we were dating where I drove through a crazy blizzard to get to Sandy. From the Twin Cities all the way up to Bemidji, Minnesota, I drove on these narrow little channels in the road with you know, wash out, white out conditions uh, because I wanted to be with her. And I think there are so many different things in our lives that we do because we love somebody or somebody loves us. We have this relationship with them and it makes us change the way that we live. So what about you? What are some of the crazy things that you do because you're in relationship with somebody? 
because somebody loves you, somebody cares about you in a way that's special. Could be a friend, could be a kid that you have, uh, a coworker. We'll do different things because of our relationship with those people. And for those of us who follow Jesus, God's love compels us to do things differently than we otherwise would. And that's what we're going to see in today's passage. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you want to open up your Bible, follow along. We're going to read verses 11 through 21. And hopefully, hey, we've got it up on the screen too, so that's bonus. Uh, So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 21, we're going to see what God's love compelled the Apostle Paul and therefore us uh, to do today as Christians. So it starts off, Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. So immediately preceding this uh, section of scripture, Paul is talking about standing before God. And there's this judgment that's taking place. There's this accountability that's taking place for the ways that they are living that he's living their life or the ways that they would be living their lives. And so he's sort of thinking about that in the same way that we often do today. I mean, people today have this view of God where they're going to stand before God someday and be held accountable for the things that, the ways that they live their lives. So this is not an uncommon belief. This is common back then, common today. And so Paul's saying, in view of that, in view of this idea that we're going to stand before God someday and be account- held accountable for the ways that we lived, He says we try to persuade others. He's trying to persuade others of this good news, this gospel story. So we continue. It says, What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. And what's going on here is that Paul is being accused by false teachers of his authority. His his authority is in question by these false teachers. He's accused of being weak, as if somehow being in jail and being beaten and not having this eloquent speech is somehow a weakness. Because there were these false teachers that were really good at speaking and wowing the people, and they had these amazing insights, and they would charge people money for this. And Paul, Paul didn't charge money for the, for the message of the gospel. And so people started to wonder, well, is this worth it? Maybe it's not worth it. You know, I mean, you get what you pay for, right? So Paul's defending himself amongst, amongst these false teachers. And what's starting to become common, like, yeah, maybe, maybe Paul isn't a good teacher. Maybe what Paul's teaching isn't true. So he's defending himself. Uh, But more importantly, he's defending the gospel message. Paul's not as concerned about his own life and his own kind of reputation as much as he's concerned about the good news. So he goes on and says, if we're out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we're in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us. There's that word, compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. 
And what we're learning here in this passage is that Paul is willing to look like an absolute fool. He doesn't care about that because of God's love for him. That's what he cares about. As long as the message of the good news that God loves people is getting out, he can say, I can look like a fool, it doesn't matter. And it's because of this gospel story, this big story that we've been talking about, that Paul's willing to do this. And he has this sense, he also has this sense of accountability that we talked about, that he's gonna stand before God someday and give an account for the actions that he does on this earth. And so as we think about that, I want us to think about what are the things that motivate us today? What are the things that compel us, that get us moving, that gets us going today? And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, if we believe that God loves us, are we willing to make an absolute fool of ourselves? Well, as Paul considers that, his answer is yes, and he goes on to talk about what Jesus has done on the cross by saying, so now, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. So the gospel changes Paul. It changes the Corinthians that he's writing to, and it changes us. God's love compels us to be different people, to live a different life. There's this idea that he has of this old way of living, and the old way is this self, selfish way of living, the ways that I look to my own interest, maybe the way that I think about getting the stimulus money, like, yeah, we could do this, this, and this. And Paul's saying, no, that's the old way of thinking, so he changes his viewpoint. The old way also included this idea of judging other people. He says, he talks about this idea of appearances, judging people based on their achievements or the ways that they looked, how tall they were, maybe how uh, good they looked, you know, in terms of their symmetric on their face, you know, those sorts of things that the world looks at that quite frankly, we still look at today. We still look at people today and judge them based on the things that they do and the ways that they look. And Paul's saying that's the old way. The new way, when we are in Christ, is to look at people the way that God looks at them. And we've talked about this over the course of this big story, uh, how God looks at us and values us and sees us because we are made in his image. And we become this new creation, he says. He's talking about this new creation language, and that's sort of this reference to this idea that in the beginning, we were created good, and we were you know, very good, it says. Then we moved into this fallenness, this brokenness, and he's saying we're going to move back to this new creation. So this old stuff, like selfishness, our view of the way people kind of are from a human standpoint and what we can see, that's going to be laid to rest, and we're going to be more like Jesus. And we talked about that last week. So he goes on, considering that. He says, all of this idea is from God or initiated by God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. 
We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So this whole lot of reconciliation going on. So let's, let's talk about what is reconciliation? What does it mean to reconcile or to be reconciled? Well, the English word reconcile is broken down into three parts. That beginning, re, is again. Con is with or together. And then sile or cilia is this idea of uh, walking. So if you put that together, we're walking together again. So there's this idea that we're walking together through life, that we're partners, we're, we're together in this world. And that's what Paul wants for us in our relationship with one another, our relationship with God, and our relationship with the world, that we would walk together in this world together. And so let's go back and look at what we've been looking at. So if you remember, uh, first week we talked about the fact that the world is broken, It's messed up. We see that all over the place. Things that just don't go right, whether it's the isms like racism, sexism, alcoholism, go on and on, or it's natural disasters, or it's just the way that people treat you and make you feel like, ugh, I'm just not worth anything. Or maybe the ways that you treat other people. That's the brokenness of the world. We feel that on a regular basis. And when we feel distant from God, that's also that brokenness that's getting in the way of our relationship with God. And so we talked about in that first week, a couple weeks ago, if you were with us, how that longing seems to indicate there either was or will be a better world to live in. And in the Christian worldview, we believe that there was and that God created this great world. We had this great relationship with him because he was at the center of it. We had this great relationship with each other because God was at the center of it. We were following his ways. So we had this great relationship with each other, with God, and with our world. And we said in week one that we decided we wanted to be selfish, live for ourselves, do it our own way, be our own leaders. And when we do that, we begin to break our relationship with one another. So you've experienced this with people, right? Where they're so into themselves, it just hurts you. Have you had that experience? So we break our relationships with each other. We break our relationship with the planet because we don't care about things. We, you know, throw things out, do whatever uh, to our world, pollute, etc. Um, or justice things. We don't care about people groups and those sorts of things. Uh, we break our relationships with, with that. And then, um, ultimately, that breaks our relationship with God because we feel like, oh, man, I'm not living how God wants me to. And we feel that, and it starts to distance, create that distance from us. And God doesn't like that, we said. And that longing for a better planet says, yep, there either was or there will be. So we believe there was. And then last week, uh, we talked about this idea that God hates this. God doesn't like that we're not in right relationship with him, with each other, with the world. So God, being who he is, came down to earth. Jesus, who was God, began to show us how to live in right relationship with each other. He restored relationships. He offered forgiveness. He made relationships whole again. And he showed us how to live in right relationship with each other. He identified with the brokenness of the world, so he experienced all the things that we do. Man, he knows what it's like. He owned, oh, and he never contributed to the brokenness. So he experienced the brokenness, but never contributed to it. And then he owned the brokenness of the world. He took on the ultimate brokenness of the world, death itself. And then scripture says that God raised him 
back to life, and he overcame the brokenness of the world because Jesus had God the Father at the center because he was God of his life. And so, now today we're talking about this idea because Jesus has done these things, he's inviting us to be like him. To be in Christ is the language that's used here. To put Jesus back at the center of our lives, to trust in him, to, to follow his leadership. And then, with God at our center, we're sent back out into this broken world to bring healing. So, uh, created for good, damaged by oh, evil, um, restored for better, and now sent together to heal. And this is the big story. This is how your story, each of our stories, connects with God's story. Because we are these people in this story. We were created for good, but we've been damaged by evil. The evil in the world, the evil in our own hearts. But Jesus was fully God, fully human, lived a perfect life, experienced all of it, owned it, died on the cross, rose again, overcame it, and now invites us to access to that same power to begin to go back out into the world and bring that restoration, that healing that Jesus brought, began so many years ago. And that's where this idea of reconciliation comes, restoring things for better, bringing relationships back into wholeness, walking together in this world to bring healing and restoration. And this is the mission of the church. This is what we are about at Crossview Rosa Parks. We want to help bring healing and wholeness into your life to connect you to Jesus because that's where we're going to get it. All of us are broken and we need Jesus because he's the only perfect one to bring that restoration into our lives so that we can then go back out and bring restoration and healing into the rest of the world. That's what we're about at Crossview Rosa Parks. And the question is, as we think about this passage of bringing reconciliation into the world, are we known more for our message of judgment or the message of reconciliation? And the text today encourages us, compels us to be about the message of reconciliation. He's talking about not counting people's sins against them, but instead bringing that message of reconciliation, wholeness, togetherness, unity. And as Christians, we are compelled by God's love for us to bring that message of reconciliation to the world, to others. In our final verse today, in verse 21, Paul has this really theologically packed verse and we're going to unpack just a, a tiny portion of it. He says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness, the righteousness of God. And in this theologically packed statement, 
we're reminded one more time that it is Christ who makes us right. He is the one who can make us right so that we can walk with God again. And so the whole idea of this is that we are made right by Jesus. We are made right to make things right. Made right by Jesus to go make things right in the world or to reconcile things or we're sent together to heal. So I want to think about, all right, what's that mean for each of us today? Well, first off, I hope that you are reconciled with God. Paul's first kind of be reconciled is his first kind of command to the group here in this passage. We too need to be reconciled to God. If you don't have a relationship with God, I want to encourage you to start that. Ask us about how to do that. Ask somebody that you know that follows Jesus, how do you start that relationship? It's an invitation to follow Jesus and to be reconciled. And then as you are reconciled, as you experience that forgiveness yourself, then we begin to go out and we become ambassadors. That's the other piece in this scripture passage that he's using. This idea of we begin to go out and represent Jesus to this world. And we help others experience the goodness of God. So I want to encourage you to think about being compelled to be a reconciler. And how do you do that? Well, as Frederick Buckner, Buckner, well, anyway, as he said, the place God calls you, place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. So there's this idea that where you see the brokenness of the world up here and where you find gladness, where those meet, that's where you can be a reconciler in this world. And you can spend a lifetime working on that. But I want to break it down. That's aspirational. I also want to encourage you to say simply this. You can be anywhere. You can do almost anything, short of sinning. And if your faith compels you to truly love someone and tell them about Jesus, you're doing a great job of representing Jesus. You're doing a great job of being an ambassador, of being a reconciler. So, love people. Pretty simple. It's why we're planting a church on this side of town. Because in the midst of COVID, in the midst of all the things going on in this world, in the midst of all this brokenness, people need hope. They need people that have Jesus, that know that someday we're actually going to return to this. That Jesus is going to restore the world for better in his second coming, and we get to experience that wholeness together. He needs us to be the church to go out into the world, and that's my hope, that we as Crossview Rosa Parks can be the church, bringing that message that God loves people to them. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word today. Thank you for the ways that you lived, the ways that you sacrificed yourself for us, the ways that you were willing to go to the cross on our behalf to experience the ultimate brokenness of the world for us so that we don't have to. And Lord, we are grateful that you are willing to do that for us. Would you help us to be compelled then by that to go do that for other people? 
Amen.